Welcome to the Hoops in the Heartland podcast, bringing you basketball headlines from the nation's breadbasket. And welcome into this post-Thanksgiving edition of the podcast. We're still full from Thanksgiving. Derek Decker and Jacob Collins alongside you. We're going to go ahead and take a listen to our phone call, welcoming in special guest, head of officiating in the NCAA, J.D. Collins, and our conversation with him this week addressing a couple of rule changes. So first we want to start off with the new Class B technical flop call. You know, why is it there? What's it supposed to protect as far as the players go? Well, it's interesting that the word protection comes into mind. Um, as we, over the last couple of years, have talked to Division One coaches across the country, one of the biggest things they kept saying is, we got to get flopping out of the game. It's bad for our game. It's bad for our game. <clears throat> and so we approached it um, in, the, in the late 70s. We had a technical foul rule on flopping, and there was no warning. And then eventually that came off the books. So we, the Rules Committee discussed it. And they decided, yes, we want to put a Class B technical foul, which is just a one-shot technical foul for a flop. But we also want to give them the opportunity, them being the coaches, to coach their players. And so let's give them a warning. And if they do it a second time, a subsequent time, then it's a Class B technical foul. And so that's what we've we put the rule in. In the first month of the season, um, you know, quite a few the first couple weeks. And as we're calling warnings and calling flops, um, the number of flops is decreasing, which was the, the goal. And um, from a protection point of view, you know, if a player dives on a three-pointer, he's only going to hurt himself. If a player head bobs, he's only going to hurt himself. But on a block charge play, if a player flops, there's a chance the offensive player can trip over him, and there is a safety issue there. Uh, but generally, it's just because it's bad for our game. J.D., I think something that has come to my mind, just as a fan, um, we've seen a couple times this year, I've seen it called a couple times, and I can't recall a specific instance, um, but when there's a player that appears to be, or he at least thinks, the defender thinks he's in legal guarding position and then gets called for a block, there has been a couple instances where that's been called a Class B technical. It seems to me like, um, I, I guess we're trying to draw a fine line between you know the balance of you know is this a flop or is he just trying to get the call like I don't know I, I feel like that's a balance there in those specific instances when we're talking about block charges that officials have called very tight so far this season well it's interesting that you comment uh, about the legal guarding position because typically uh, when players flop on a block charge play is when they've been there too long okay uh, and, and my point being, if they get to the legal guarding position, they're waiting on the guy to hit them, and you see a 6'4", 230-pound guy running at you full tilt, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a concern to stand there and get plowed. So um, what officials look for in those scenarios, as you, as you suggested, is, number one, legal guarding position, and number two, does his head move back before his body? Because if his head's moving back before his body, that indicates that he's flopping and he's not taking the contact in a legal guarding position. If I stay vertical and I don't, I don't pop my head back and a guy hits me in the chest or hits me in the stomach, my head's actually going to go forward. You know, it's just a natural right. reaction right. To, to bend forward. And officials are honing in on whether or not that guy is standing there and taking the contact or not. Now, in addition to that, I would tell you that there's some variables. 
if you think of contact that's incidental or no contact being a zero and contact that is I just ran through you being a 10, if the offensive player comes down and gets a little bit of an arm on a defender uh, that's at a one level or a two level on that scale and the defender flops back like it's an eight or a nine, we're going to call a flop on that play. Gotcha. If the defender, if the offensive player has just enough contact where it's still incidental, but there there is contact at a one or a two, and the defender moves backward at a one or a two level, we're probably not going to call a flop on that play. But so the, the action or reaction by the defender has to equal the contact that was made by the offensive player. Okay, that makes that, sense. Um, yeah, and so officials are running that through their processor as they're watching each play right. and they're judging, judging accordingly. Okay. So, and this is the other thing that I've thought uh, when we go back to the hook and hold last year, and it was obviously a, a big part of the game, at least in the early stages of the season, seems like when we got into conference play for the most part, that, you know, kind of subsided a little bit. You saw that called less and less as the season went on. Is that something that. Well, maybe, let me ask you a question, Derek. Why do you think that right. is that the the hook and hold uh, went away in conference play? Right, and I I get what you're I see exactly what you're getting at. So you see what I'm doing there? Right, the yeah, I do see what you're doing. That's good. If if we put a penalty on a play, meaning if the rules committee uh, puts a penalty on a play, and there's a penalty that goes with it that's pretty stiff, i.e. the hook and hold play, right. it's a flagrant foul. That's that's a foul and the ball, foul right. two shots and the ball. That's a pretty significant penalty. And so when we started calling it, of course, we got reaction to that. But then by the middle of December, they were teaching their kids, don't do that anymore. Right. Okay. It's too stiff of a penalty. And so the, the natural tendency for fans would be, well, the referees aren't calling that anymore. No, it's just not happening anymore. Gotcha. And the goal here with the flopping play is, I, my hope is that by mid-December, we won't be talking about flopping. Okay, so that could be kind of the same road that we're going down last season. Okay, perfect. Jacob? So one last question here as far as the rules go. Um, there's some confusion, I guess you could say, with the cylinder rule. It's not necessarily a new okay. rule this year, but it's it's a new-ish rule. Can you just kind of run us through what that rule is and, and uh, how officials call it? Yeah, the offensive player is entitled to a cylinder around his body. The defensive player is entitled to a, to a cylinder around his body. The offensive player, when he has the ball in front of him, that cylinder extends out all the way to the front of the ball. And so the rule that we put in, it's either been three or four years ago, uh, was intended to free up that offensive player, freedom of movement, to allow him to make a normal basketball play, which normal basketball play is shooting, passing, dribbling, and, and or pivoting. So what, what was happening uh, back in the day is the offensive player gets the ball, the defensive player crowds him, uh, literally – steps over his leg and you know he's trying to pivot and he's walking up on him there's no way an offensive player can make a move that way and so we put the cylinder in uh the first couple years was difficult because you know defensive minded teams were instructed their players were instructed hey guard them legal close the gap get up on them they're not going to call fouls on us and it restricts the offensive player and so we've given quite a bit of freedom to that offensive player as long as he makes a legal basketball play, a normal basketball play. When an offensive player swings the elbows horizontally instead of bringing the ball over his head, 
Now we've got a different play, and you're likely going to get an F1 foul on the offensive player for swinging a horizontal elbow. And to Derek's fantastic point a little bit ago, we don't see any more horizontal elbows, do we? It just yeah. hardly ever happens. Right. And so one of the one of the things that you're probably not even noticing as many cylinder plays this year is the the we changed the monitor rules to allow an official if they call a cylinder play, um, you know, guy swings an elbow or doesn't swing an elbow, but comes over the top, happens to clip the guy in the nose, he goes down, they call an offensive foul. So they go to look at the monitor and they see that the offensive player made an, a, a normal basketball play. He didn't do anything illegal at the monitor. They can pull that foul off of him. If the defender was invading his cylinder, then they can put a personal foul on the defender. So when we're walking away from the monitor now, A, we're doing it quicker, and B, uh, we are more accurate in what we're applying on that rule because it all happens really, really fast. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, to, 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 you know, to your audience, the reality is most fans just watch the ball. They don't watch the defender and referees are taught to referee the defense, determine if the defender's legal. And if the defender's legal, you can't call a foul. And so our mindset or our viewpoint is slightly different than the normal fan who sees the ball. Next thing he sees is contact, but he doesn't know if the, if the defender's legal or not. And so that's just something that we teach and referees are accustomed to doing. Uh, I do have a question for you guys. I mean, I know that was my last question, wow. but I, I gotta. I mean, I gotta come with some questions. Now. Fire away, <laughs> Derek. I, I was listening to a recent episode, and there was a term used that I'm unfamiliar with. It was referred to as the white hairs. Yeah. What What was it that you were referring to in that regard? Yeah. So I've actually been uh, questioned by a couple different people on that one. Um, we'll <laughs> We'll just leave that up to you know the listener to decide. <laughs> you know, where you cross that threshold and, and what age that is. Certainly you fall below that threshold. I think you're, oh, uh, you're definitely underneath that. That was really good. Yeah. That was really good. Anything uh, else, guys? I think that's all for this week. Thanks for coming on. A very special guest, J.D. Collins. Thanks for coming on, J.D. All right. Take care, guys. Yep, you too. Well, there you have it, folks, straight from the words and mouth of J.D. Collins head of officials in the NCAA. So now let's dive into um, the basketball for the week. Derek, take it away. All right. So that's a, a real good way to get the podcast started. Um, I just think it's so important to get clarification. I mean, I can pick out a ton of different things that I learned in a 10-minute phone call right there. I mean, that's just it's so that's just awesome to have. Uh, well, it's also kind of awesome that you have that connection, Jacob. But, uh, you know, that, that's just nice. Okay, so let's talk about the Hoosiers. Let's Indiana wins 88-75 on Monday night against La Tech. I said earlier that this was probably going to be their toughest game in November. Turns out it was. Um, granted, they didn't play well on Saturday, but we'll get to that in a minute. They beat La Tech. This is a game where they were favored, I think, what was it, Jacob, 12 or 13? 10. I think or, they were, yeah, there you go, like somewhere that, in yeah. that, yeah, whatever. Somewhere in that range, Indiana comes out hot in the first half and yes, I mean smoking hot this is a team that shot it very well they uh, only made six threes on the game which isn't that many but they went 28 of 38 from the free throw line making 28 compared to Louisiana Tech only shooting 15 so that's obviously the goal the whole season and 
LaTeX made this a very interesting ball game. Indiana was up 52-36 at halftime, pulled away, got it to about 20, and then both teams started turning it over, and then, yeah. you know, LaTeX kind of creeped back in, and you right. you kind of got nervous a little bit. They got it under 10 points, and you think, man, you know, if, if they can make a couple more shots, they got a shot to win this thing. They made 10 threes. Indiana did not really defend the three-point line well. Granted, LaTeX is, a, again, a pretty good offensive team, but... Indiana did not defend it well. TJD went for 21-11. and 11. Just I, This guy's becoming a double-double machine. Absolute monster. Yeah, and he had another double-double on Saturday. Al Durham went for 18, Devontae went for 16, and Joey Brunk had 12. But Jacob, takeaways from this as, you know, a kind of a tale of two halves and really flashbacks of what we've seen over Archie Miller's career in that in the first half, it was like, man, this is the ideal thing. You're knocking down some outside shots, not a ton, but just enough. You're very, very efficient. You're not turning the ball over. Then the second half comes along, you get into the half court, and you completely fall apart. Yeah, right. The first half was very promising if you're an IU fan. They looked like a completely different offensive team. They went out there, and they just... Flat out scored the basketball with ease. Which we're not used to seeing. Not used to at all. And they played a pretty clean half. They uh, didn't turn the ball over a lot. Shot a lot of free throws. Shot well from the free throw line. And then the second half happened. And like you said, it was a tale of two uh, halves there. It was a completely sloppy second half. Lots of turnovers. Lots of missed shots. And really, the guy that stepped up and just kind of kept him ahead of that 10-point margin that you talked about a little bit was TJD. He right. made those free throws. He got to the line right after the second half. Yeah, he went he 11 was the only for 13. One, right. He was the only one scoring in the first four or five minutes of that half, really. And it was really all from the free throw line. They didn't exactly. have a, They only had like one bucket in the first six or seven minutes of right. the second half. So that's a little concerning for sure. But the defense played pretty well in the second half, I thought. They forced some turnovers. But, uh, yeah, if you are a fan of the Hoosiers, you're seeing some uh, some resemblance from last year's team as far as disappearing offensively goes. Yeah, they definitely played better defensively in that second half. Then Saturday came rolling around, and that was uh, a real fun atmosphere. Talked to a few people who were at that game. I was down at the bucket game in West Lafayette on the way back. Uh, from what I understand, the the ending of the uh, football game was on the video board there, or at least the end of regulation, and they had to cut it off as – football game you know went way too long as a four o'clock start here at assembly hall but indiana wins that one 64 to 50 obviously much less convincing fashion although you didn't really get the feel that indiana wasn't in control of this game it they you know they were up by a 9 10 11 point margin most of the game and and the jackrabbits really never got it closer than that but a lot less convincing. Indiana kind of went quiet offensively, only shot at 41% from the field, just 9 of 18 from the free throw line. And after 18 turnovers on Monday, which we were hoping that may have been, you know, uh, a misnomer or perhaps a blip on the radar, they come back and they turn it over 19 times on Saturday. Jacob, yeah. this is growing. Is this a concern at all for a team that really didn't struggle at all with turnovers in the first five games of the year? It's definitely a concern because in the first five games of the year, granted, the competition was non-existent. But, but again, South Dakota State, I mean, you go back to the same thing. It's the same, you know. Right. So. so, but the offense was looking pretty good. It was free-flowing. It was moving well. They were moving the ball well, and they were doing so very cleanly. Right. And that was a key is because if you're going to miss shots, you have to at least be efficient. you got to not turn the ball over, and you got to maximize every possession. So if you're going to be turning the ball over and only shooting 40% from the field, that's just not a winning combination. No, 40% is not very good. Uh, They did shoot 7 for 20 from the three-point line, which I think is too many attempts. But seven threes is a good number. 35% is something you can live with. I mean, that's decidedly average and maybe even a little bit below average. But that's 
I guarantee, you know, compared to the last two years, that's exactly what you want. TJD, 19 points, 14 rebounds. This guy's just just racking them up. Uh, Justin Smith kind of broke out again, had 18 points, 11 of those in the first half. Devontae went for 11 as well. So we got Florida State coming up here tomorrow night in what should be an electric atmosphere for the first time this year in Assembly Hall. It's yep. a 9 o'clock start, although I think it'll start a little bit later than that on ESPN2. And amazingly, that's going to be overshadowed. A couple other games at the t- at the same time are going to be better than that game. Um, but we saw the Seminoles you know, win twice. They beat Tennessee, upset them. Tennessee was ranked 17th coming into the week. They beat them at Northwest Florida State. And then they beat Purdue in the championship game of that uh, classic there, the Emerald Coast, Emerald Coast Classic, I believe mm-hmm. is what it was, um, on Saturday night in overtime. So this is a team that's very good. Third-ranked defi- defensive efficiency in Ken Palm. How does this Hoosiers team score against a very long and a very good Florida State defense? Yeah, it's going to be a true test, and how they're going to have to start with it is, one, they're going to have to kill them on the boards. Right, which and they've been doing a good job doing, of so far. And they need to continue to do it. But like you said, Florida State is a little long, a little longer than the yes, teams they, they have been playing. And also, you've got to limit the turnovers. You've got to maximize every single possession you have. You've got to be moving the ball, and yeah. you cannot settle for those dumb dumb shots. One thing I want to call attention to in this last game against the Jackrabbits, Brunk and Davis combined for only three points. Mm-hmm. That's an issue. Well, I, I let's talk about why that happened. South Dakota State, in my mind, exposed how to beat Indiana. Yeah. I, obviously, they weren't good enough to do it, but there's going to be a lot of teams, especially here early on as we get into conference season and the non-con teams that Indiana's playing, like UConn coming up. I think that that's the film they're going to be watching. Absolutely. Because South Dakota State completely packed it in. I mean completely. Indiana took 23s, which is way too many. Again, that's still fewer than they took on, well, I guess I guess not. They took 19 on, on Monday night. But that was a totally different game. Um, the Jackrabbits completely packed it in, which is what you saw most Big Ten teams do last year. Right. And the results are kind of concerning again. And that was not a not a not a tremendously long South Dakota State team. Mm-mm. So I think if Florida State's able to do that and take away the inside, which again has we kind of have noted that's been the recipe to kind of beat Indiana the last couple of years and maybe even more so this year, the results might be kind of ugly because yeah. uh, I'm telling you, Indiana did not look like a solid offense. Granted, their defense was very good against South Dakota State. Absolutely. I, really, their defensive performance was very good. The The problem being, you know, the points kind of went away again. And, you know, how much disaster does that spell going forward? How many times have we seen it? You know, Indiana being able to get enough stops, they just can't score enough. So, right. you know, if, if Florida State's able to do that, I think they've got a chance to come in here and win pretty easy. Yeah, for sure. And if you're going to pack it in, you got to have guys like Al Durham step up and hit shots. You got to have right. guys like they got to do it consistently, right? And so. Al shot only two for seven against South Dakota State, and that's just not going to work. If they're going to pack it in and you're right. going to get some open shots, you got to capitalize on that and you got to make the most of it. Right. Um, Indiana is a seventy to sixty nine favorite in Ken Palm. I would disagree with Ken Palm there. I think uh, I think the Seminoles are definitely the better team. Leonard Hamilton yeah. always has his guys ready. And I think the Seminoles win by a relatively comfortable margin. Granted, we're going to learn a lot more about Indiana than we're going to learn about Florida State on Tuesday night because this is really Indiana's first test of the year. 
And uh, it's a good test. It, it it certainly is. I mean, the schedule right that's it. I mean, you have now reached the end of Indiana's schedule being easy. There's right. pretty much no other easy games on the schedule. I mean, you could count Northwestern or Nebraska. Nebraska yeah, but uh, those are in conference still. The rest of the non-con. You're talking about all high mid-major teams. They're higher than that. They're all in the in the top five conferences in the country. So, you're you're just you're running into getting dangerous a good territory. Schedule. You are, and if you cannot, you know, again, we're going to see a lot of what Indiana can do here on Tuesday night. Also, with that said, I think it's important that you know the knee-jerk reactions just need to relax a little bit if this team isn't ready to play a Florida State caliber team. Absolutely. Last year, the situation worked out where Indiana played Marquette very early on in the season. Uh, I think it was like the second game of the year, second yeah. or third game, whatever the Gavit games are. So, um, and Indiana ran, I think, actually, I think it was the third game, and it did not have a problem. Knee-jerk reaction was, oh my goodness, this team could really be good. Right. Other knee-jerk reaction was, oh, my gosh, Evan Fitzner can make shots off the bench. Yeah, well, that, both those were mistakes. Both of those were mistakes. So Yeah, maybe a loss out of conference to a good team might not be a bad thing in the long right. term. If we're talking yeah. long-term development, you know, you got a lot of young guys like Armand Franklin, Absolutely. TJD. And by the way, I think TJD will stay multiple years. I don't think he's going. I, after oh, this I year. totally agree with that. I think he's. A, I think he's probably a three-year guy at he's least. He's a two or three-year guy. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So as far as if you're just looking at the development of these guys go, I don't think losing early on. As long as you don't dig yourself in too deep of a hole where you need to win every single game of the Big Ten. Which is what happened last year. Which is what happened in last year. It's not a terrible thing. As long as you go back, you watch the film, and you learn from it. You know? Because you want your weaknesses exposed. That way you can learn from your weaknesses. I think Florida State's also a better team than what they're given credit for. I really do. Right. This is is one of the better teams in the country. I think they're they're definitely a top 15 team. So, I, I just... You know, a loss here just isn't the end of the world for Indiana. Granted... If, you know, they come out flat like they did in every game last year, every big game last year, you know, you come out flat and it just doesn't look like you want to be there and your offense is just completely disaster, then then maybe we got a bigger problem. But for the most part, I think whether they win or lose this game, it really, it tells us a lot, but it doesn't necessarily define who this team is yet. We'll learn that as we go at the end of December. You know, after they've played UConn, after they played Arkansas, after they played uh, a you know couple Big Ten games, Wisconsin and Nebraska, albeit lower tier Big Ten games, but still Big Ten. Nevertheless, games. I mean, they got to go on a place to win where they've never won before. So let's talk about Wisconsin for a minute. The Badgers. Let's talk about them. All right, they lost twice this week. They lost to New Mexico. I checked that they lost to uh, Richmond on Monday, sixty-two to fifty-two at the Barclays Center, and then turned around on Tuesday and lost to New Mexico at the same place, fifty-nine right. to fifty. The next night didn't look good in either one of those games. Their offense is obviously a problem. Although I think we got the feeling after that big win over Marquette that maybe this is a good team that wasn't getting enough credit in the in the preseason. So now you're talking about. I think the more Wisconsin that we could expect the rest of the year, this is a big shot, though. Those two losses are big shots to tournament hopes as we go down the stretch of the season. Because you look back at those right. two losses, and those are two not good losses. Not at all. But Wisconsin is always a dangerous team, especially yeah. when you go out there. Like you said, we've had some incredible years, and Wisconsin has had some very down years, and they still yeah. beat us there. Yeah. So that that cannot be discounted. But I right now... This is an unbiased opinion. I think that Indiana. Uh, All right. I think that Indiana is very slightly better than Wisconsin at this point. I agree with you there. I I I don't think they're leaps and bounds ahead of Wisconsin. That's unbiased. 
but I believe that they have the slight edge in that game. I agree with you, but that said, again, you know, how much... All right, Jacob, let me ask you this. How much does the venue come into play? Because I I would agree with you. I think Indiana is a little bit farther ahead than Wisconsin at this point. But knowing that you've been there, you know, almost every year since the 90s and have never won there, how does that play into the psyche of your team? And I know that there's a lot of new faces on this team, but how does that play in to, you know, how you go and prepare for a game and play there, even though you might be better, the odds historically are completely against you. Yeah, absolutely. And you see the same thing for Indiana football. You know, you go to these places where you haven't won in you 30 years. You try to beat Michigan and, or Ohio State and haven't done that. Right, exactly. You know, you feel like this is the year and it just never happens. But, you know, hopefully with these younger guys in here, the guys that really want to compete, you see a more competitive fire in this team. And I saw that I, mo- I saw that Monday when the students aren't there, the atmosphere was horrible, and they still came out there and they still competed and they still. Oh gave yeah, it their they all. came out hot. I mean, yes. they scored fifty two in the first half, and that's they. And you know what? Without that's what we were all thinking is like, if this is a lazy start, this is a game they could lose. It's a Monday at eight thirty. Exactly, that's a trap and, and game against, of all trap games. Uh, exactly against a team that has had some success this year already, who's going to have a great year. That's a that was a good team. They played Absolutely. on Monday night. I I understand it's not on the level of competition that you're going to get a top one hundred team though. Yeah, it's a good team, and if you come out slow and kind of lackadaisical, you're really in trouble. Right. But that's not what happened. They came out scorching hot. They went up 19-6 to early right. on in the game and then controlled it from there. And, and even though they didn't play the best at times in the second half, they had already built that early lead off right. of that momentum that they were okay. So, yeah, and, and oh my gosh, the starts were that part of the reason why Indiana, and I, I know the, the fire and whatever, while they had some horrendous starts last yeah, year. I mean, horrendous. horrible starts. Well, it took them 11 minutes to score against Michigan. They had yeah. a couple of those games where it took five or six minutes to get a bucket. Just at the beginning of the game. They were out of it before they were that. even right, started. Exactly. And and that's like you come back to that Nebraska game last year. Right. Where it's like, you know, Indiana's they lose sixty six to fifty one. Feels like you're in the game, but Nebraska went up ten or twelve nothing right off the start. Exactly. Right out of the gate. So yeah. Uh Ken Palm liked whiskey sixty five sixty four. Um again, this is two fairly evenly matched teams. Wisconsin's defense is good. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I like the I like the prediction. I actually think it probably stays closer to the 50s. I mean, that's just kind of what you get up there every year. Yep. When Wisconsin plays at home, their defense is better even than it's on and the road. And their offense so is not good. So. Their offense isn't good anywhere. So, yeah. Uh, so that kind of caps off the IU recap. But we had a busy week in the rest of the Big Ten. Virginia Tech pulled off the shocker on Monday against Michigan State, yep. 71-66 in Maui. Not a great run in Maui for Sparty. Really, I mean, they come away, they they end up getting two wins. They beat UCLA and Georgia after that, but not real convincing in either game. They looked better against UCLA, but they nearly blew a 28-point lead to Georgia, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But that first game here, the Virginia Tech game, and, you know, VT puts five guys in double figures. Michigan State had just one in double figures, and that was Henry with 18. Cassius went two for eight from the field. Just yeah. seven points on the day. Completely neutralized. Sparty turned it over 16 times and uh, just really never could get anything going. They they were plus 16 in the rebound margin. Wow. 43 to 27. But VT made the shots down the stretch. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, they kind of spread them out a little bit. And, uh, look, it's, it's almost always going to take at least a pretty good shooting night to beat Michigan State. But that's what the Hokies were able to do here in Maui. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not concerned about Michigan State. You know, it, it's a it's a little knock down the, the ring there. You know, it's a little shot in the chest. But Tom Izzo is always going to get him to bounce back. He's so good. He's just he's always well, going to have that team ready for March. He's always going to have them ready for conference play. And they'll find a way to get better and learn from this loss. And while it's a bad, come tournament time, it's a bad loss. You know, it's it's a stain on the resume yeah, for but sure. It might not end up being that bad because Virginia Tech's not a bad team. That that wasn't the point. They should they should have won though. They should have won, and they well, did not look convincing in their other two games either. They didn't. That's the concern that that you know kind of speaks to me. Isn't that they lost to Virginia Tech? It's the way that they played in their three days in Maui. Right, but it also is in Maui. You know. You got jet lag. I know you're blowing yeah, your eyes whatever. at me right now. Whatever. Maui should get you excited to play the best. It should. Uh, it should. And, you're and right. Look, we know all about it. I mean, when when Indiana went there, uh, I think it was 16. Was eh, 15 or 16? One of those years. Yeah, I don't think it was the year they won the Big Ten. Well, anyway, they went there and they played horrible. They won one yeah. game. Um, Tommy Crean was looking good in a spray tan, though. Tom Crean did look good. Yeah. And now the Hawaiian shirt and spray tan. Yeah, he looked, suits him. You know, it was just great. I, he's the he's just the classic, you know, kind of Midwestern dad stereotype. Absolutely. Just, you just how can you not love him? It's just great. And he nearly leads his team back from a twenty-eight point deficit in the second half on Tuesday against the same Spartans, ninety-three eighty-five. Sparty made a couple free throws down the stretch to win. They were actually up twenty-one at halftime, and yeah. then a little guy called Edwards, came along for Georgia. 33. He dropped 33 in the second half. Georgia outscored Michigan State 54-41. to They were in the game with 30 seconds to go and then just couldn't make a shot at the end, couldn't quite get over the hump. And he only had four in the first half, by the way, so went for 37. But I think this is, while that kid is unbelievably impressive, and also another guy outside the Big Ten that was really impressive in Maui was Obi Toppin. From yeah, Dayton. He was real fun to watch as well. Dayton's gonna be good this year. Dayton is gonna be good. They they looked real good. I, they were to me the most impressive team in Maui. Yeah, but Georgia, you know, I look. This is not a good Georgia team. They are they struggle. I mean they they could lose a lot of games in the SEC again. Yep. But Edwards is good, and I I that's yeah. the first step, right? That's always the first step. And while. When when it happened at Indiana, and again, I I we're completely comparing apples to oranges here. Yeah. Because when it happened to Indiana with Tom Crean and when he got Cody Zeller to come in, then the recruits, the dominoes started falling. You already have an established brand at Indiana, right? Whereas at Georgia, you don't. So it's a totally different rebuild process. And and Indiana was completely stripped of everything, and Georgia was just bad. They didn't have sanctions or allegations. Right. Indiana was just or the, Georgia was just bad. Indiana had a whole different set of circumstances surrounding it, but. Georgia looked like a team that, you know, they, they play with energy as Tom Crean's teams always yep. do. They play really free. It's a really high-risk type of basketball because yep. you're just never going to get any stops. You're just not. And that's why they didn't win this game because Michigan State got some easy baskets when right. Georgia desperately needed one singular stop. Right. But, again, you're kind of going to keep up with anybody, so it goes back to the whole argument, whatever. You, you play good defense, you're going to keep yourself in the game, and if you can score, you can score with anybody, so whatever. Exactly. That's a Tom Crean typical, you know, you're going to keep people in the game. Exactly. But, you know. He was he didn't shoot it all that well. He was 11 for 26 from the field. It took 26 shots. His team only took 65 so it's clear that the offense runs through him. Seven for sixteen from three, though. Seven for sixteen is is the that's point. That's good. That's yeah. That's good. And they made twelve threes. As again, Tom Crean's teams usually shoot very well. They're also nineteen of twenty two from the free throw line. So, um, Georgia nearly coming back, not able to do it. Michigan State holds on and wins. Then we had a little team called I don't know. I think they're called Nebraska. 
And I forgot about them. Yeah, me too. And we have already held true on this program that they should be expelled from the Big Ten at least for one year. Yeah. They lost to George Mason. By the way, look, the Patriots, a good team. They are. They really are. They're a good team. But. But they won 85 to 66. And I really just don't even know how. how uh, they, they gave up. I, I'm not even. Look, they gave up 23 to Hartwell the second, 20 to Miller, 17 to Green. And George Mason completely rolled. They were never in trouble in this game. Nebraska just sucked, and yeah. that they're just bad. I think, I think they have reclaimed the title. Of, I think they have. I think they have completely solidified themselves. That being said, everybody's saying, "Oh, Fred Hoiberg, blah blah blah." Oh well, they're going to climb out and they're going to get better as the season goes along. Well, there's absolutely zero evidence of that happening right now. Yeah. At least right now. So they're they're bad. They actually did come. They ended up winning uh, the next day in the thing. Nobody really cares about that. I just like to talk about their losses. Yep. And then we already talked about New Mexico beating Wisconsin yep. on Tuesday, which you know I think I guess you could also look at it from the standpoint that Wisconsin looking for a reason to get some vengeance this week and uh, may play with a little extra energy. Let's talk about Ole Miss and Penn State. It's a very interesting game. It Penn is. State finally suffers their first loss, and, yep. and the New Lions have had a really nice start to the year. They had that good win on the road at Georgetown. In kind of blowout fashion, and it looked like they were going to cruise to a win in this one. They were up forty-three to twenty-seven at halftime, and then the Rebels ran back, stormed back. All right, I don't know how that just happened. So I just <laughs> broke the mic in here. We just had some so, technical difficulties in here. I'm just gonna. So while he's doing that, I'll uh, break down this game a little <laughs> bit. PSU had a sixteen-point lead going into halftime. And like Derek said, the Rebels come storming back in the second half and outscore the Nittany Lions 47-29 to in the second half. I, I'm still talking, about Are we way. back? I, okay. No, we're not back, okay. but I, I'm still talking. All right. So it was a complete meltdown as far as Penn State goes. And like Derek said, Penn State's looked pretty good so they far had, this year. Watkins and Stevens have looked good, and they combined for 40 in this game. They did. Good enough. They did, but you're not getting production anywhere else, and that's the problem right. that I'm seeing. That's the issue. You know, Jones had 12, which Wheeler had eight, you know, but you're getting – they had 12 off-the-bench points, and that's just not enough if you're going to consistently win, especially in the Big Ten, because you got to be deeper than that. you got to be deeper than just five or six guys, and you got to have guys that can step up and produce. And in this game, there were some serious question marks about that. You know, the Rebels exposed that, and they, they really shot the ball extremely well from the three-point line. They, the Rebels shot at 44% from three. Yeah, that's, so, really good. Uh, that's really good. Some question marks maybe about Penn State's defense, especially in that second half. Well, that was a little fun adventure. I, I think that uh, you always had to have something to add some flair to the podcast. So yeah, that was, that was good. That was nice. I think we're repaired for now. But Ole Miss, yes, comes back and wins 74-72. Kind of a crushing defeat because Ole Miss is not really that good. No, they're not. And then the next night, Ole Miss uh, gets completely destroyed by Oklahoma State. Yeah. Jacob, they lost 78-37. to Yeah. Uh, that's really bad. Really bad. This is not a good team. Whatever. Uh, another classic stupid loss for the Big Ten. And even with all the stupid losses, if you can believe this, Jacob, look to Ken Palm today. Indiana, or uh, excuse me, the Big Ten is still the second-ranked conference in America right now. Okay, wow. I think right behind the Big East. The Big East so, is number one right now. I believe so. Let me, the, let me do ACC? a little fact-checking yeah. on that, all right? Fact-check So that. let's fact-check that. So, I look, I think 
The Big Ten is one of the better conferences. Now the Big 12 is first. The Big East is third. Okay. And there's a very small gap between the Big 12 and the Big 10. Then there's a bigger gap between the Big East, then the ACC, then the SEC. Then there's a huge gap, and then the Pac-12. So yeah. that's freaking classic. That's <laughs> there. No whatever. surprise there, really. The AAC is right behind the Pac-12, which includes a good UConn. Actually, a couple good teams, so whatever. All right, so Northwestern actually didn't look horrible this week. They lost to Pitt. They, they didn't mess around with Bradley, who surprisingly enough, beat Radford, who Northwestern lost to last week. Bradley beat Radford by 20. Right. And then Northwestern had no problem with them this week down in Fort Myers. But uh, it beats them on uh, Tuesday night, or excuse me, Wednesday night, 72-59 to in Fort Myers. And uh, yeah, Northwestern's just not that good. They want to keep... Right there with Nebraska, they want to they want to contend. They for that do, title. they do want that. I, I and I don't blame them for that. Look, Chris Collins gets on all fours sometimes and pounds the floor when he wants the team <laughs> to get a stop, and then they lose to Michigan, so that's fine. Oh goodness! So, obviously, the story of the week in the Big Ten, it's Michigan. Absolutely, they beat Iowa State in Atlantis, eighty three seventy six. Not a huge surprise. A good team, uh, and and what was really one of the underrated games of the week, I thought. But the Cyclones, not not a bad team at all. But Michigan just played better in this game. They just kind of played a complete game, 183-78. to 78. And then the surprises started happening. Yeah. Then you saw what they did to North Carolina. Yep. And frankly, it was just it was just something that was like, I, I can't believe I'm watching it. They beat North Carolina on Thanksgiving, 73-64. to 64. Really wasn't even that close in the nope. second half. Michigan was up 20-plus uh, for a good majority of that second half. Went on a ginormous run uh, early in that second half. Then they turn around, and then you're like, all right, so that's nice. It's a great win. Terrific. It's going to be awesome. Hey, they got a good win. They should be happy with second place. And then Jawan Howard said, no, I'm just going to win the whole dang thing. Yep. And that's what they did. Yep. They took down Gonzaga in a game, again, that wasn't close. Michigan wins on Friday, 82-64. to 64. We have been high on this program about absolutely. Michigan. We we have believed in Michigan, and I understand for years and years. Yes, absolutely, and I understand why the AP may have been you know shy to put Michigan in the top twenty five. But now they've jumped all the way to number four this week in the new AP poll, which has to be one of the biggest jumps. Like ever. I was thinking, I was yeah, it does because I was thinking about that, and there were some people making an argument this should be the number one team in the country, and I don't necessarily week, disagree with that. I really, I mean. Look, this week, if you beat North Carolina, Gonzaga, back-to-back days, including an Iowa State team that's not a bad team. Not bad at all. You deserve some recognition. That's what they got. So they got all yeah. the way up to number four. This is a team that just, it's unbelievable. They look like the same team. It's its just, it's unbelievable. I, I, yeah. I can't believe there's no setbacks at this point. But they just look like one of John Beeline's teams. They, they shoot do. it well. They're really good defensively. They'll slow it down. They can play in the half court. They can play. You know, they can play fast if they need to, but they don't like to do it. They just set you up on the perimeter. Then you've got guys uh, like Teske that you can pound it into. Yep. I, it's just, they it's such a good team, such a fun team to watch. They don't foul a lot. They, they're they just such a clean team. Oh, they're just fantastic to watch. They just play as one unit. They just play they as a really team. They really do. They really do. It is all, I mean, it. that's what it is. And that's it's always been complete, the identity of Michigan. It is. Always. Yeah, and it's just a complete effort all the time. It's, it's always... You know, the five guys on the floor are always working together. They don't turn it over that many times. They actually, they turned, they struggled on Tuesday, on uh, Wednesday 
with turnovers. They they turned it over 22 times against Iowa State, and then uh, and uh, and they struggled again on on Thursday with 16 turnovers against North Carolina. But they shot the ball really well they against shot North the ball Carolina. Really well. That's right. So you can make up for That's some right. sloppy turnovers. Only had 11 if you're on, shooting the ball really well. They only had 11 in the championship game. That's the only place that I can see that's a, a real difference from last year and the last couple of years is right. last couple of years, they never turned it over. Never. They, they just, I mean, they don't give it away. Yeah. And uh, that still could change. They and could, that's true. That, they could remember, they're out. still in November here. Well, not anymore, but that, that the games were in November. So, yeah, there's still a long way to go. But Michigan, well, well I'll pose this question. Um after we've seen Michigan State struggles, and I understand we're maybe making hot takes here, but that's what podcasts are for. We're in the first part of December. Does Michigan have a legit chance to compete with the Maryland's and the Michigan States of the world in the Big Ten? So you're saying they just have a legit chance. Not that they're going to do it, just a Not legit chance. they're going chance. to it. And I, I think I understand why they're number four right now. I'm not necessarily saying they completely have earned that. I, I think the resume speaks to that. I know we're really on early on in the season, so that could totally change. You know, because if, if you just look at the AP poll, then Michigan be the favorite. And I, right. Nah, whatever. That's just not whatever. Right. But do they have a chance to do it? Not are they going to do it? Do they have a chance to do it? Absolutely. I said, I believe on the first podcast we did, we gave kind of our run through of the Big Ten. Uh-huh. And I said that Michigan was going to be a top four or five team. Yeah, yeah we both it, put them in the top tier. Yeah. So we both have been high in this Michigan team. I definitely think that they can compete. And probably win at least a couple games against your Maryland's and Michigan States this uh-huh. year. They're going to beat some good teams, and they already have beat two right. really, really good teams. So, yeah, they're going to be scary. If you're Michigan State or Maryland right now, you're looking to them, and you're a little worried. Yeah, because you're talking about a team that you expected to potentially, and I I know you, you if you asked Mark Turgeon or, or Tom Izzo, and, and they would tell you, and they wouldn't be lying when they said it, they, they'd tell you, no, we, we knew Michigan's a good team. Yeah. We, you know, Um but as far as the outside eye co- goes, you have a team here that's you're thinking, eh, maybe not going to be that great. A good team, obviously, you're, you know they're going to be fundamentally sound. You know they're going to be a good team, right? And never an easy out by any means. But a top ten team, maybe not. So right. that's uh, that's an interesting twist, and and adds another player to what we thought potentially could be shaping up to be a relatively, I don't want to say weak but certainly not as strong of a Big Ten as it was last year. Yeah, we're seeing, obviously, a very weak bottom in Nebraska. You got Penn State and you got Northwestern, teams like that. Penn State's not going to stay at the bottom. Although, their tournament, I'm telling you right now, because their non-con isn't that tough, that that blemish against Ole Miss could very well come back because I think they're no doubt a bubble team. Even if they're in, they're definitely better this year than they have been in years past. I'm just telling you that losses like that, especially when Ole Miss turns around and loses by 41 the next day, yeah, that's just not good. Not good. But you have in the new AP poll, take that for what you may. But you have three Big Ten teams in the top ten. Uh-huh. You got Ohio State, Michigan, and Maryland, and you have Michigan State, who is 11th. So the top of this conference, if this continues, is looking very, very scary. Oh yeah, yeah. The top is good. I mean, really good. Really, really good. But, you know, I don't know. I, the middle is yet to be figured out, and the bottom— That's the real question we know the bottom. We know the very bottom isn't very good. How do your Indianas, your Wisconsin, that's your Purdue's, all how about, do right? all of those I, even out? How I does think that that's happen? usually what happens, although I think we might be a little more front-loaded this year. I think we're a little bit a more front-loaded, Because yeah. you, you see, you know, 
lots of times you have like one good team. Sometimes you have no great team. Sometimes you don't really have a breakaway team. Right. But you usually have like one or two teams at the very top that are like top ten, top fifteen they, teams. Right. And they they separate themselves at least a little bit from the pack. Right. But this year you have a group of four, maybe even like five teams that could get in there. Yeah. And be right there at the top. Then you have this giant chunk in the middle. You have a relatively small, weak bottom. So, I don't know. It's it's shaping right. up to be an interesting... And we haven't even played a conference game yet, so... It'll be a fun year if you're a Big Ten fan. It'll be a really yeah, fun year I, because... Yeah, I think lots of parity. Yeah, you're going to see people rise and fall, I feel like, oh, really yeah. quickly. Oh, you're yeah. You're going to... Like, teams like Maryland or, you know, Michigan, they could go back and forth and fight yeah. for that top spot, you know, really, really fast. Well, so. speaking of Maryland, they beat Temple in Orlando, 76-69. Maryland went on to win the thing. They beat Marquette yesterday, 84-63, at the Wide World of Sports Complex... And, Jacob, you and I have sort of different opinions on Maryland. Um, they did win all three of these games. They, they beat, did. They beat Temple by seven, a game that he trailed most of the game for. Yep. Came back and uh, took the lead, I think, for the first time in the last seven or eight minutes of the game and then pulled away a little bit. Did kind of the same thing to Harvard the next day. Yep. Uh, Jacob, explain to me why you think this is a really good team. Well, I think this is a really good team because they find ways to win. And, you know, Marquette, after, you know, the first couple of games of the year, we have some question marks about how good of a team they are. But they're still a pretty good team. Yeah. And Maryland looked very convincing they did in look that good final. On Sunday. Yeah. So, you know, you have some question marks against Harvard and Temple there, but they still found a way to win. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be nights, there's going to be games where you just aren't shooting the ball well. Things aren't seeming to go your way. But as long as you still find a way to win those games, you're looking good. And that's what the, all the other teams at the top haven't been able to do yet, other than yeah. maybe Michigan. You know, Michigan right. State, they haven't found a way to win those games that they should win. You know, so Maryland being able to find a way to beat those teams, even when things aren't going quite their way, is a really promising sign for me. And then that that uh, final against Marquette was just, uh, just a seal in the box, you know. Yeah, so and I'm, I'm on board with you there. I think, here's, here's what I think. I, I think maybe... You could accredit some of the fact that they had to play back-to-back days on Thanksgiving and Black Friday at 11 a.m. Some trap. Oh well, I take that back. I think uh, no, that's right. I think it was 11 on Thursday too. I, it was either 11 or 11:30. I think it was 11. That's that is. Sleepy. Those are the games where you're not going to shoot the ball that well. Those right. are the games that you're going to come out and right. not be hot. So I I like what you're saying there, but to me this just hasn't looked like. And I know understand it's it's early, but it just has not looked like a complete team yet. They, they have really, really struggled. They've bailed themselves out with some shooting, and maybe that's what they'll do all year. It's possible that they do that. But I'm telling you, they, they have not looked good inside. Losing a guy like Bruno Fernando really kills you. Yeah, that um, is true. I mean, it does. It's just you, you, gotta, you don't have a total power guy that you can go to anymore. Um, but here's my whole argument. Okay. There's no team in college basketball right now that looks like a complete package. None of them. Duke has no, holes. I would argue. Michigan State has holes. Michigan. I would argue Michigan probably. Uh, Michigan they been exposed might yet, be so. your best your best option. They haven't been exposed, but I'm you know the turnovers yeah. that's an issue. Yeah, and they well, could be exposed. Here's for that. here's the deal though, and I, I think this is what's great about college basketball in general, but also specifically this year. You do not have a team like you had Duke last year, and I think you know Duke was the favorite and whatever, and they lost. Right, and I understand that's fine, but they're right now. There is no team that looks infallible at all. I not mean, at all. I mean, not even there doesn't even appear to be a team or a couple of teams that are pulling away from the pack because right. the number one team right now is Louisville, yeah. and I'm telling you, Kansas doesn't deserve to be number two. Absolutely not. So 
I've seen them play a couple of times, and they haven't looked at that Some good. Some serious question marks. If you want to, well, and I wouldn't even use this week saying, although, well, Dayton took them to overtime. Well, Dayton's a really, really good team. They may beat Stanford by six points, though. Yeah, well, I'm Kansas, not a good team. Whatever. No. I'm not, I don't want to talk about Kansas. They're just, they're not that good. They're not that good. Maryland, uh, again, speaks to my point. Don't really deserve to be number three, but that's my point. Like I, might not deserve I can to be run down the list point. and say none of these teams deserve to be in the top ten, but they all are because those are the best you got. Because right, right now, there's no teams that are separating themselves right. in in basketball. You know, coming into the year, we kind of thought like the top four, the the first games of the year. You know, you had those matchups with the top four, and you kind of thought your Duke, Michigan State, Kansas, and Kentucky. We're going to kind of run away with it this uh-huh. year a little bit. You're like these teams are so so stacked with talent. Yeah. So well coached that, you know, these teams are going to kind of, you know, be the trailblazers for the rest of the year. And right now, you know, out of those teams, we have Kansas at two, Kentucky at eight, Duke at 10, and Michigan State at 11. Yeah. So none of, there's only one in the top four still. And Kentucky and Duke have both both had horrible losses. Horrible losses. Absolutely. Michigan State has, I mean, not horrible losses, but games they should have won that they have lost. Mm -hmm. So... It's going to be a really fun year because there's going to be a lot of games where you have absolutely no idea who's going to win, and that's very exciting. Speaking of which, by the way, hat tip to Stephen F. Austin on Tuesday. Absolutely. Fabulous game, really. I got I got home uh, from Concordia, got home in time to see the second half of that game, and then overtime, of course, and the way that ended. Uh, a couple things happened, by the way, in that last possession. I think he probably got fouled, but to me... Why they got really lucky. Stephen F. Austin got lucky in that they scored because with six seconds left after you get the rebound on the miss, you have to call timeout. You have a timeout, you're laying on the floor, you're going to call timeout. Right. And that's what they should have done. And then you set up a play, and if it doesn't work, likely you're going to double overtime. So, whatever. I Again, tip of the hat. So, it was a really fun game to watch. What an unbelievable finish. And uh, that's the second time that's happened this year in, in similar fashion. You saw Evansville take down Kentucky a few weeks ago. So it's just been a really nice start. You love to see it for a program like that oh, yeah. to get a win like that. Oh, it's for a, sure. It's what makes college basketball and, so enticing. And Duke hasn't lost a non-conference home game to anybody, let alone a mid-major, right. in 20 years. Yeah. So that's just that's an awesome story. Yeah. Uh, rounding out the Big Ten, Iowa beating Texas Tech 72-61. to not a whole lot to take away from that one because then they turned around and lost. You know the next where day. we stand on so, Iowa. Yeah, exactly because that's what they do. It's a that's coin that's flip. the kind of yeah. San Diego State beat them eighty three seventy three on Friday. Um, final team I want to talk about from this week uh, after Penn State, by the way, redeemed themselves on Friday night. They did and got a fabulous win against a good Syracuse. Yeah, absolutely. Team. And just completely blew them out. Uh, Penn State's offense was really good in this game. They scored 85 points. They made 10 threes. They went 21 of 31 from the free throw line. Got there a lot. Uh, and what what the difference was, Jacob? They doubled them up in rebounds. Wow. They were I did not plus realize that. 29 on the boards. Penn Ooh. State had 57 rebounds. They had 23 offensive rebounds, and wow. Syracuse had 28 total rebounds. Wow. Uh, I just don't understand how you get better than that. They had 18 yeah. assists on 27 buckets. That's really good as well. So they just played really well in that game. So good for Penn State to get back on the yeah, right track, which them. is what, again, that's what I'm saying. I, this is a this is a tournament caliber team, but you just cannot. We'll see what they do. This is the program now. This is where you have to find out whether they're turning the corner or not is if they can consistently beat every team. You know, all the te- all, win all the games they should win. Right. And right now, they're still not quite there. 
This is a team that so. could be a bottom three or four team in the Big Ten, or could actually be a tournament team. It just, it's, oh, I think it's we'll a tournament see. team. But okay. we'll see what happens. So I, I think so too. The last one I want to talk about, aside from DePaul beating Minnesota, I, the Gophers suck. They're and horrible. They're that's bad. another team and that's hey, competing hey, for the title. Congratulations to DePaul, who is currently two and zero against the Big Ten this year. Yeah, blowing out Iowa in the uh, Gavit games a couple weeks yeah, ago. Absolutely, and then beating Minnesota. So. Purdue is the last one I want to touch on okay. this week. Uh, they got a really nice win against VCU. Granted, that was a game that did not feature much offense. It no. was a, oh, Both teams just shot it very poorly from the field. Neither team could get rolling at the start, and then you know it just didn't really pick up from there. Uh, the two teams combined to make just seven threes. A lot of free throws in this game, a lot of fouls. Uh, Harms fouled out with four four minutes left at somewhere around that mark, and I, I thought that was probably going to be the end of Purdue, but the Boilers rallied and uh, got the win here behind uh, 12 points from Hunter and 12 from Proctor, 10 off yep. the bench from Williams, so a really good win for Purdue here. Yeah, absolutely, and they really needed this win because they've struggled in some of these bigger games, but VCU is a really good team. VCU is a good team. Beat LSU at home. And I've been saying this all year. Going into the year, I really thought that Nojel Eastern was really going to be the guy, and he has sucked, quite frankly. Yeah, he has not been the guy. He had zero. He in had this game, zero. So. so, but he only took one shot, and he was in foul trouble the whole game. So, right. But it is very, very encouraging that you're having guys like Hunter and Proctor step up to the plate and you know make some shots when they need to make some shots. Right. Um, Proctor got to the line. He, he was eight for ten from the free throw line, yeah. which is amazing. That's what they need all year. Um, you know, it's just things like that. They're not shooting the ball great from the field, but they're finding a way to win against VCU, and that's very promising. Yeah, I take that back. He actually, I was thinking of, um, I was thinking of Williams, who ended up getting in foul trouble, and he ended up fouling out. But Eastern only had one foul in that game. Played 31 minutes, only got one shot off. Yeah. Complete non-factor offensively, and VCU did a good job of neutralizing him. Um, and then they turn around on Saturday and play a really, really good game against Florida State. One of the better games we've seen yep. so far this year. Um, but Florida State's able to come away with the win, sixty-three to sixty. Purdue scoring just two points in the overtime. Uh, again, a game where neither team shot it particularly well. I don't know if it had something to do with the gym at Northwest Northwest Florida State, but the defenses aren't that good no. for either one of these two teams. Florida State's really solid defensively, so that makes more sense. But Purdue's not that good. They're not bad. They're just not that good. And VCU's defense, again, solid, but not 33% from the field solid. I mean, that's just... Right. There really shouldn't be many teams in college basketball, except maybe Virginia, that do that to you. You should not shoot right. that poorly from the field that night. And Florida State won this game making just one three. One for so 17. That's yeah. That's good for 6%, in case you're wondering. Yeah, that's some good Norwell math right there. Yeah. Uh, I just, I'm telling you, uh, Purdue, they're, they're a team that again, could be really good. And we'll talk about who they're playing this week and why that has us excited. Um, but defensively, you know, I think they're on they're they're right. They're there. Purdue defensively, is, they're there. Purdue's good enough defensively right now to win games. But the question mark always was going to be where do they turn for scoring? And they right. still have not found that guy who can consistently get it done Every single night, Harms had 16 in this game, uh, as he stayed a little better out of foul trouble. But they had two guys foul out again. They had a Wheeler foul out, and they had Eastern foul out, and Eastern right. went for zero points again. So, and, it, and granted, Eastern has been dealing with some things. He um, only played 14 minutes in this game, a lot more restricted from yeah. a foul standpoint. But he scored zero points in two games as a starter, and one of the guys that we thought 
this might be the guy they turn to for scoring has not been the case so far. So let's preview next week in the Big Ten, and there are a ton of good games. We got the ACC Big Ten Challenge, Miami, Illinois tonight, along with Clemson and Minnesota. Uh, that not a great slate. I kind of like. I'm intrigued by Miami, Illinois. I'll be watching that tonight. That'll be interesting. I yep. like uh, the Illini here. Uh, they they've been a a decent team. They've got a whole bunch of different weapons that they can score with. So I like them. Uh, Miami has struggled a little bit to get off on the wrong foot. Clemson, Minnesota is probably the worst matchup of the week in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Minnesota is a three-point favorite in that one. But tomorrow night is the star-studded lineup, yep. including uh, Michigan and Louisville, Rutgers and Pitt, Duke, Michigan State, Iowa, Syracuse, Northwestern, Boston College. Uh, two really, really good games that you could look at there. And then an underrated game in Iowa and Syracuse Absolutely. as well. Um, Wednesday, the headliner, Virginia at Purdue at 7.15. Game. Yeah, it's going to be a terrific game and should likely be a defensive battle. Uh, Virginia is giving up uh, just under 43 points a game. Yeah. So, you know, I really, that just kind of speaks for itself. They're the prediction not, says it all, 50 48. 50 to 48 is a that computer prediction. That does say it all. You got Nebraska, Georgia Tech, not intrigued at all. Notre Dame, Maryland, I like that. I like, I like that too. Uh, Notre Dame hasn't been all that good this year. They've struggled a little bit um, with their MAC friends in the non-conference, but Maryland, I, I think we'll find out some more about them Absolutely. in this game. Wake Forest at Penn State, really like that game. The Demon Deacons are not off to a, a terrific start, but nonetheless winning some games, and we'll also find some more about how Penn State responds even though they got that big win against Syracuse you know how do you follow that up after that right. disappointing loss early in this week Wisconsin at NC State I like that game I do too probably a lot of defense in that one uh, the Wolfpack are a 67-63 favorite and then the, the other headliner of Wednesday night is Ohio State North Carolina a 68-66 prediction with the Tar Heels coming out on top in Ken Palm Friday night uh, Big Ten play officially Gets underway. Iowa traveling to Michigan. Big Blue 78-69 favorite there. Saturday, it's Penn State and Ohio State. So, and that that could be interesting as well. So I'm that's the uh that's maybe the best game on Saturday. You also got Illinois at Maryland, which I like. I like that. Uh, both of those uh, are eight point home favorites and Nebraska at Creighton. So um Creighton's pretty good. I think Creighton's probably gonna be uh victorious by a wide margin in that game yeah rounds out with sunday's two games and kind of snoozers you got northwestern at purdue boilers should not have a whole lot of trouble in that one northwestern's not a good team Rutgers not great either and i think michigan state probably pounds out a couple weeks worth of frustration on the poor scarlet knights so no sympathy for Rutgers, but um uh, i got i got a little bit of sympathy so jacob i'll uh as we kind of wrap it up again today i'll let you start with your pick of the week well, my pick of the week is Virginia at Purdue. You know, we've been talking a lot about Purdue, you know, the question marks, you know, but I still think they're a pretty good team. I definitely think they they have the pieces to get it figured out. They're well coached, obviously. But how are they going to respond to Virginia's defense when they haven't been playing well offensively to start with? So those are kind of the dynamics that I'm really excited for to watch in that game. You know, find a little bit more out about Virginia, too. You know, you're returning national championships, only returning one starter. So... It'll be a really interesting game to watch. There are so many good games I could have picked, but I'm going to pick Michigan and Louisville. Uh, you have Duke, Michigan State that could have been on there. You got Ohio State, North so Carolina many. that could have been on there. Oh, there are just so many great games. I, you know, on a 
and again, I am a little biased, but I think Indiana, Florida State will be a really good one. It'll be a classic. I think I think that's the best one that doesn't involve two ranked teams, except maybe Virginia, Purdue. Uh, everybody else is yeah. playing in you know inter ranked teams, but that should be a good matchup. I like Michigan and Louisville. And well, actually, unbelievably, it's going to end up being a top five matchup. You got number one right. against number four. Uh, Louisville, I think, is a favorite in this game. They are, yeah, seventy-two to sixty-four. I think it's closer than that. It's definitely closer than that. Um, but uh, the Cardinals are solid. I we hit, they're kind of unproven though. They really haven't played an, uh, a a tough game yet. So right. again, another one of these things we're going to find out a lot about the team here. And it's going to be Louisville on Tuesday night. So I think that just about does it here from the basement of Franklin Hall on behalf of Jacob Collins. This is Derek Decker saying so long. God bless.